Well, it is good to be back. Uh, it has been a, a few weeks uh, since uh, before Christmas, Christmas Eve, since I was uh, last up here finishing up our Ruth's sermon series. Um, and anytime I get away from the pulpit for a couple of weeks, there just begins to be this unrest down within me of excitement to be able to come back, open up God's word, um, and to be able to sit and, and think together as a church, what is God saying to us through his word? And in particular, this Sunday is a bit unique from, from others, as what we're hoping to do this Sunday, as we'll often do at the beginning of the year, is have time to be able to pray um, and look forward to uh, asking the question of where God wants to lead us in focus, particularly this year. Uh, as we're looking at this Vision Sunday, asking the question, Lord, how can we take a step of obedience as a church and in growing into maturity? Um, and what God has done all through last year as elders, we were praying uh, and asking that question. Uh, the word that came to our minds uh, for us to focus on this year is the word care. There are a number of reasons for that. The need for care and counseling that exists within uh, the church, exists within the world. Um, a number of reasons for that. I mean, one, you just look at the state of our country right now. And you can feel kind of the rising anxiety that's existing even outside the church. Um, these pressures that are coming to light, the need for people that, that need help. Well, that's not just true outside the church, though. It's also true within the church. And we felt it particularly true within our local church last year as we begin to, to hear more uh, situations, more uh, circumstances that required care and counseling in the last year than we had had in the previous years of our church's existence combined. And so we began to ask the question, Lord, how can we do this well? How are we supposed to think about this? And it led for us this year of focusing in on that reality. How can we as a church care well for one another? This isn't just um, a random um, uh, conviction that we feel. This is a direct command from Jesus himself. It's his spirit inspiring Paul to write the letter to the church in Galatia. Wrote this in chapter 6, verse 2. Writing to a congregation. He said, you are to carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, friends, really the question we're asking this year, how can we obey that command well? How can we carry one another's burdens? There's weight that we're all carrying, varying degrees of weight, but we're all carrying weight. There are burdens that we're walking in. And God in his design within his church is saying we're to come alongside and help grab that weight, to help carry it for one another. This is not a professional ministry. This is a one another ministry to carry the burdens of one another. So how can we do that? What I want to do this morning is I want to look at four different things. Uh, we'll kind of move through that, that movement, four different things. I want to first look at our world and I want to look at ourselves and I want to look at our savior. And finally, I want to look at one another. That's kind of the movement where we'll go this morning. Look at our world, look at ourselves, look at our Savior, and look at one another. And trying to ask that question, how can we help carry one another's burdens? I think first, we have to look at our world and ask, where have these burdens, where has this difficulty come from? What's the source of it? Uh, this one probably needs the least amount of convincing because I think everyone knows the world is broken. The Christian, non-Christian, no matter what your worldview is, we turn on the news and we're like, oh, this is messed up. There are problems here. Now, the differences come in when we begin to ask where those problems came from. And then in particular, how can those problems be addressed? That's when diverge, uh, worldviews diverge. But no one's going to argue, oh, this world, you know, is pretty, like everything's great. No problem. 
2024, an election year, I bet there's going to be no arguments. It's going to be wonderful. What a wonderful, wonderful reality that there's no problem. We just all get along. Oh, friends, everyone knows the world is broken. Whether it's our health, our friends or family's health, jobs, feeling like we have too much to do, seeing discrimination and injustice or abuse in the world, feeling financial strain, living in light of broken promises or relational strife. We all feel the weight of this world. We all know that something's flawed and broken. As we look at it, we go, there's a, there's a problem here. Where did it come from? Well, I was, um, after Christmas, we always go back home to our family in Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that I have a chance to do is to go with my father-in-law to a deer camp that my other in-laws also are there. And we'll go for a few days and go hunt deer. And I get to get out in the woods and it's cold and it's quiet and it's wonderful. Um, I didn't bring home any antlers this year, but it was still a wonderful time in God's creation. But there was one morning that was not very wonderful. You see, the way the deer camp works is about 6,000 acres, and there's a number of men that pay into a lease. Uh, and every morning you'll go, and you'll pick the stand you want to go to. You tag out, and then you go up to that stand. Now, here's the problem. I'm not a frequent uh, member of that camp, so I don't, I'm not very familiar with the woods. These other guys know the woods like the back of their hands. I am not familiar with the woods. So I will tag out on a stand and then be given directions to get to that stand, and generally things go well. But one particular morning, things did not go well. There was one stand, everyone was convinced it was going to be a great stand hunting in the morning. The wind was just right. They're seeing some activity around it. They're like, oh, Caleb, this is going to be great. Now, no one's hunted here in a while, we don't think. I mean, it's been years since we've been, but I bet it's going to be awesome. That should have been red flag number one. But regardless, they give me the directions. I go up, um, uh, drive up there uh, on a four-wheeler, get off, begin to walk in, because you don't want to spook the deer with, uh, with the noise of a motor. So begin to walk in. And mind you, just for context, it's 25 degrees at this point. It's 5.30 in the morning. There's no sunlight. I've got a small little headlamp. I've got multiple layers of clothing because it's 25. I don't know, Florida, it gets colder than 55 degrees in other places in the world. I don't know if you know that. Um, and 55 and 60 degrees is cold as I see everyone like in 18 layers of clothes this morning trying to survive. But actually, it gets colder. Um, and 25 degrees is very cold. So I'm wrapped up in a number of layers um, to be able to get to this stand. And as I get there, I get to the exact point. I'm confident they told me that I needed to turn into the woods to get to the stand. And as I'm going on the trail and I turn, like, I mean, 100% certainty, I look and there is nothing but a seven foot tall wall of a briar patch of thorns and thistles with no way through it. But I'm in the woods. There's no cell service. So it's not like, hey, can you tell me again what the directions are? I'm on my own at this point. And I'm confident this is the way through. So what I begin to do is to try to work my way through the thorns and the thistles. And as I'm going through, my clothes are getting snagged. Uh, it's beginning to go through and pierce my skin, starting to get scratches uh, on my arms and on my hands. I'm fighting. I'm trying to work through. And it takes me about 15, 20 minutes. And I finally get past the wall. And what do I see? An eight-foot wall of thorns and thistles now in front of me. And so I'm like, this is impossible. So I end up working back through the other side. I go down a little bit for, further to try to see if there's another way around it. There is no other way around it. And so I'm fighting these thorns. And at this point now, I'm starting to sweat. I don't know if you ever sweated in 25 degree weather. It's an odd experience. 
as you're hot and you begin to take things off, but then you're wet and you freeze immediately. It's, a, it's an awful experience. And so I'm fighting, trying to get through all of this. Eventually, I just go all the way around, go down by the river, find where the stand was, and I get up there. And when I sit down, I mean, I'm drenched in 25-degree weather. Um, it, is, it was awful. Finally get up there. Didn't see a single deer. Didn't see a single bird. Didn't see a single duck while I was up there. I was frustrated the entire time. That's beside the point. Uh, the point was, as I was going through, I just kept thinking this would be so much easier if these thorns weren't here. It made it impossible to get through and it made it, it hurt. I don't know. These thorns don't just pierce you. They, so it's like they have hands and grab a hold of you. It's, I'm unfamiliar with how this worked. And I just kept thinking it'd be so much easier if these thorns weren't here. But then as I finally get to the stand and start to calm down a little bit, Again, we're just a week after Christmas. There's a song that starts rolling through my head from Christmas. Joy to the World from Isaac Watts. And there's this lyric in there that I love that began, that the Lord brought to my mind in that moment that there is um, this hope that Isaac's writing. When Jesus comes again, this prayer to say, Oh, no more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Because he's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And in that moment, I was reminded there will be a day in this new creation when there won't be thorns anymore. These thorns were a result of the fall. We see all the way back in Genesis 3, this was part of the curse that God had said. As he cursed not only the serpent, man, and the woman, but he cursed creation. And he said that the ground is cursed in verse 17, Genesis 3. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And I was reminded of that difficulty in the woods. Of the reality of the curse of this world. Of the thorns and thistles physically in this world that make it impossible to get to deer stands. And the thorns and thistles emotionally in this world. These sins and sorrows and sufferings that grow in our life. This result that we live in a cursed Genesis 3 world. We live in a thorny world. And it hurts. It's hard to get through. It pricks us and pierces us and scratches us and cuts us. And sometimes so deep all the way down into our hearts. It's the reality of the world we live in. If we look at this world and we see the brokenness, friends, God's told us that brokenness has sprung up from this curse that's fallen on the world. That there is sin and suffering that every single one of us walk through. And this world is broken. And there is a need for help to get through. I would have loved to have some cell service in that moment to ask my father-in-law where I needed to go. I needed help. That's one of the mercies of thorns. It reminds us of the help that we need and drives us to ask for it. So as we walk through this world, in this broken world, we feel the pain of this curse. We feel the reality that we live in a damaged world. So what do we do? As we look at the world, we all go, okay, yeah, the world's broken. And as Christians, we see, okay, well, the reason why it's broken is this curse that exists. Are these thorns and thistles, this sin and sorrow that's growing, this reality of this world that we live in. So what do we do? The next thing I want us to do is to look for our world, but also look at ourselves. So as we see this pain and sorrow in this world, this Genesis 3 world that we live in, next we look at ourselves. 
in our journey through this Genesis 3 world, our journey through the briar patch, these thorns and thistles that are catching our clothes and cutting our skin. How is your journey through that world? And friends, I think it's an important question to ask because I think sometimes we want to skip past it. There is a pain and there is a weight in this world. And there are negative responses that we may have to that reality. This isn't, uh, this isn't um, uh, meant to be complete. This is a whole list. But here are some of the negative responses I've seen as we walk through this broken world and thorny world. Negative responses we may have. One is a simplistic response. Sometimes there's just a simplistic response to sin and sorrow and suffering as we maybe go, hey, you know what? You know what you need? You need to remember this Bible verse. Here, if you, if you take this, go home. It's almost like a medication it can feel like. If you go memorize this verse, tomorrow you'll feel better. And we may reduce everything down in a reductionistic sense and a simplistic sense as though the sin and suffering in this world is just as easy as memorizing a verse or thinking this one thought or knowing this one truth from God's word. And if you just know that, if you just think that, then things will be fine. Oh, friends, God's word is living and active. It is, is wonderful. But we have to also understand the reality of the human being is a complex reality. Not simply solved by memorizing a verse or thinking a particular thought. Now, there's more complexity to that as we live in this world. We have to be careful not to simplify and have a simplistic response. In the same breath, we also need to not have a psychologized response, an overly uh, psychoanalytical response. We live in a psychoanalytical age, an overly psychologized age, as there is then this dependence on, well, if we can figure out a story or what's going on or this past trauma or understand uh, this brain, body, how this all works together, well, then we'll be able to fix ourselves. This is what people outside the church may say. And friends, some of that begins to infuse into the church. As there is this, if we as Christians detach our, our hope and the transformative power of Jesus and his spirit and anchor it onto science or clinical science, oh friends, we have misplaced our hope. Those things are helpful. As more and more things come out, as we understand our brains and bodies more, that's a good thing. We don't have to be scared of that as Christians. Oh, that's not our hope. That's not where transformation comes from. In God's common grace, he's helping us understand that. Oh, but that's not where the change comes from. And similarly, as, as I lead a staff meeting every Tuesday, I, don't, I haven't found the proverb yet on how to lead a good staff meeting. And so I will look at other uh, things within business or leadership to take principles, but I'm reading those things through the lens of a biblical worldview. Looking at through the lens of Scripture at these things and helping them filter through how to be able to lead a good staff meeting. Oh, friends, it's important for us to not anchor our hope in science. Our hope comes in a Savior. So we don't have a simplistic response. We don't want to have a psychologized response. We also don't want to have a suppressed response as we look at ourselves. As we may walk through pain and suffering in this world and difficulty, to try to suppress that and go, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to address this. I just need to push through. Right, John Wayne, a great model. We just need to not cry, not think about it, be tough. We need to be a man, not think about this stuff. Let's just go on through. We don't need to sit in our feelings. Everyone's talking about feelings and, oh, it's just so, no, no, no. We need to, we need to rub some dirt on it. We need to go on through. I heard the, yeah, you need to listen to the rest of the sermon. <laughs> oh, friends, again, if we suppress the pain in this world, 
As we walk through this, we are missing opportunities for Jesus to minister to us. We're not to push those things down. All you have to do is just look at Jesus' life as he walked through. As he wept. There's been no one more manly than Jesus in the face of the earth. You want to know what biblical masculinity looks like? Look at him. And we are to model him. And feel as he felt. And allow him to be able to minister to us. Not just simply pushing things down and moving on. So we don't want simplistic. We don't want psychologized. We don't want suppressed. As we look at ourselves in this reality. As we walk through the pain and suffering of this world. As we look at ourselves. So what can we do as we then look at ourselves? Let me give you just two words. Again, this isn't meant to be an entire talk on care and counseling. But I hope what this can do is spark two things in you. As you look at yourself walking through this thorny world. I hope that it can spark curiosity, and I hope that it would spark honesty. I hope that it would spark curiosity, that as you begin to feel emotion, that you would be curious as to why that emotion's there, and begin to trace it, and follow it, like a map. Let it lead you somewhere. Your emotions are the first response as human beings on how we interact with this world. And so don't suppress them, engage them. Be curious. Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel this anxiety begin to rise up in my heart? Rather than just sitting in it and responding out of it, be curious. Where's that coming from? Why am I so angry about this thing? Why why do I find happiness or shame or guilt rising in my heart in these specific emotions? Be curious of those things and follow them. Let them lead you somewhere. Again, there are first responses to the world around us. Ask the questions, when do you find yourself getting excited? What triggers anxiety in your heart? What are you afraid of? These are good questions to ask and be curious. Because emotions usually reflect what is happening in our hearts. And if we will ask the questions, we'll begin to find what is then in our heart. There may be a misunderstanding of the character of God. There may be an idolatry or sin that exists there that needs to be addressed. And those emotions can lead us there. Usually it reflects what's happening in our hearts. And I say usually because sometimes those emotions aren't simply given shape by what's in our heart. But sometimes it can just be um, given from our bodies themselves. Emotions can be an unpredictable assault from a disordered body or an unruly brain. So it may not be a misplaced love or an idol It might be something that in our brain that may be off that we need help with. It may be something uh, within our bodies that we have a physical response, not not, not a heart response to a moment. Our bodies, as God has given us these bodies, we are not humans with a body, souls with a body. We are embodied souls. God's given us this body, and at times that generates emotions. Anything about depression. Depression could be caused by sitting in sadness and denying God's character. As someone that's something that's loved may have been lost. Believing that life has lost its meaning or purpose. Or something desired will never be possessed. Trace that emotion to your heart. But friends, depression may also be saying something is not right in my body or brain. And I need help. But what we should do is ask the question. Be curious. To begin to see what kind of help that you need. So be curious with those things when you look to yourself. But then also be honest whenever you trace it to something. When you find something that's there, you can look honestly at what exists. And what we will discover is that every single one of us are people that need help. There's different degrees to that need. 
but we all need help. I think this is one of the dangers when we have this conversation is that we may hear the importance of care and we may think of extreme situations and go, yes, they need care and I'm here to give it. I want to help those that are walking through really, really, really hard situations. But friends, what I want to put forward is that every single one of us need help. We all need care. We all um, need the body around us and the ministry of Jesus to be able to step into the hurts as we walk through this Genesis 3 world. And we can be honest whenever we get there. And as we're looking at ourselves and beginning to find tracing it back to our hearts or something that's going on within our lives, our bodies, then whatever it is that you discover, my friends, we bring that to Jesus. We allow him and his ministry to inhabit then in his presence into those places. And this is where after we look at ourselves, we then look at our Savior. Because this is the danger. There can be this kind of navel gazing with, with care and counseling as we always look at ourselves. And if we end there, we will not do ourselves any help. But we should look and see where are the places that we need help. And then we look to him. Because we may find as we look to ourselves, oh man, there is... There is the reality of this broken world, and I'm walking through the suffering of this world. It's not because of sin that you've done, but it's been either sin done against you or the reality of living in this broken world. And you're walking through suffering and sorrow. Again, as a church, we're walking through a season right now. As we, yesterday, were, were here, a number of our members were gathered together, remembering the life of Walker Logan Rivera, a, a child that died at 35 weeks old. And we're walking through this reality. That was no result of sin. It was a result of this cursed and damaged world. And so in that moment, tracing then pain and suffering, how do we bring that to Jesus? What will he do in that moment? Oh, friends, there may be in your life difficulty and circumstances and pain without, suffering without, suffering out there that is happening to you. How do we bring that to Jesus? What will he do? Or you may trace those emotions back into your heart and find that it's a problem not suffering without, but suffering within. Is this an issue of sin in your own life? And maybe there's a misplaced love, an idol in your heart that is leading to these emotions. And you need to repent of that and find your happiness and joy in Christ. And maybe there is this issue in your life, this sin that you've continued to give into, and you trace your emotion back to it. You feel this guilt and shame, and you trace it back, and you go, oh, I, I, I've been living in rebellion to Jesus. I need to go to him. But friends, as you get to the bottom and you then bring those things to Jesus, I think it's an important question to ask. What will Jesus do when you come to him? Who will you find when you bring him your suffering, or you bring him your sin? It's kind of a scary question. It can be. Maybe for some of you, it's a terrifying question. Because we're talking about standing honestly before God. Is God going to be annoyed with me that I haven't been able to move past this? Is God going to be kind of disgusted by me if I bring this sin has brought me so much shame, is he going to be ashamed of me? What will his response be? What will Jesus think whenever you bring your, your suffering or your sin to him? I want you to try to answer that question right now in your head, not out loud, but in your head. What do you think Jesus would think of you 
if you came to him and were fully honest in your suffering or in your sin, if he's sitting right there next to you and you say, okay, Jesus, here's everything, what would he think? Oh, friends, this is why the Bible is so important because God's revealed who he is and he is not like who I would have thought he would be. There's a hundred places we could go to. I want to go to my favorite story uh, in one of my favorite stories in the scripture with the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And there's so much in this story. I've got a, a painting by Rembrandt in my office to remind me of this because I think it reveals so much about the heart of God. You've got this, oh, yeah, well, yeah, well I've got to stop myself, but I can't stop myself. It's just so good. You've got this son, demands an inheritance from his father, says, give it to me. I wish you were dead. Give me your money. I'm done with this. I want to go do what I want to do. And guess what the father does? He gives it to him. He gives him the inheritance. The son takes the inheritance and he runs off into a far country and he has the time of his life. He heads over to Groveland, Florida, and man, he lives it up. He, he is having a great time. But soon famine comes. Soon the money runs out. And soon he's got nothing left. And all of a sudden he's got no way to pay the bills. He's like, I got to get a job. There's no way I can get a job except by these other Gentile um, uh, farmers. And I'm going to go and work, but I don't have anything to eat. I'm going to eat the same thing that the pigs are eating out of. That's the place that he got to. And the lowest of the low. And when he came to his senses... He said, man, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And I'm here dying in hunger. And begins a plan in his head to go back to the father and go, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell him, hey, I know that like I disgraced my family. I left and put a stain on our family name. I disgraced you. I can't, I, please don't kill me, but here's my plan. Let me just work for you. Can I begin to pay back what I took from you? And I can just be your servant because being your servant is better than the situation I'm in right now. So he's got a plan to go and try to pay it back. And when he gets to the father, what is the father's response? Verse 18, he, I'll get up, I'll go to my father, I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And verse 20 is one of those verses, highlight, underline, star, whatever it is you do, because it's here we see what God does when we come to him in our sin and suffering. When he went to his father, while his son was still a long way off, every detail here matters. This is a parable of Jesus trying to convey the heart of God. And he's saying, while the son was still a long way off, meaning the father was looking, he had his binoculars out, looking as far as he could see. And the moment that he saw him, he was filled with compassion. That's the emotion of God when his children come to him, when they return to him. And you go, well, uh, I don't know if he'd be compassionate with me. Doesn't know what I've done. Listen, that's why he told the story. It's hard to imagine a worse thing for a son to have done than this. And what's the father's response? He is filled with compassion and overflowing with compassion. And so then he runs, throws his arm around his son's neck, kisses him and says, you are back in the family. Here's the robe. Here's the ring. Get the steak. Time for a party. Because my son who was dead is now alive. 
And friends, we've got to get this deep into our hearts because in a moment of sin and suffering, there is also an accuser who's going to enter in and begin to whisper things in your ear about what God is like that are not true. Did God really say that he would forgive you again? Do you know how many times you've been dealing with this? You know that shame you feel? That's right. Imagine what God thinks about you. You should go, what you should do instead, try to pay it back. Try to get yourself together first before going back to him. Then maybe he'll accept you and not be so embarrassed about you. Oh, you're walking through suffering? God, God's got other things going on in his life. He can't deal with the, the difficulty in your life. He's got universes to spin. He can't deal with your stuff. There will be an accuser in your ear. And in those moments, friends, we've got to get these truths of God's heart deep into ours. Because in those moments, we step back and we go, no, 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 I know this is the hundredth time I've brought this sin back to him. But I'm coming back to Jesus again because I know exactly who I will find when I will get there. I will find a Savior not filled with irritation, not filled with anger, not filled with a toe tapping. I will find a Savior filled with compassion, ready to forgive slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And there may be people, again, there may be people that read the New Testament. They're like, boy, Jesus is great. It's the Old Testament God that I don't like. They're different people. Oh, friends, just, that, that is, just stay away from those people. Jesus is the expression of God. Jesus is not a different version of the Old Testament God. He is the Old Testament God. He is the expression. This is what God would do. All you got to do is just go back to how God revealed himself to be. His name, whenever he first revealed himself to his people to Moses in Exodus 34. Remember where that came. It came right after the golden calf when his people had turned away from him. It's here that God reveals his name. And what does he say? I am the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God. That's Exodus That's the Old Testament. Jesus is the image of that. He is the expression of that. And so as we look at this world and see the brokenness of this world, as we then walk through the thorns and thistles of suffering from within and our own sin, suffering from without and the sorrow and suffering of this world, we then can take that sin and suffering and we can bring it to Jesus knowing that he is filled with compassion Every single time someone comes to him. Every time. This is who he is. He is filled with compassion. Isaiah 42.3 puts it this way, describing God. He will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick. You think of the reeds you see in the swamps. It's broken, it's bruised, hanging over, barely hanging on. He won't break a bruised reed. A smoldering wick, you blow a candle out, it's red, it's there, just barely hanging on. He will not put out a smoldering wick. Even if your faith is barely hanging on and you come back and go, oh, is he going to be frustrated that I like am doubting or struggling? Oh, friends, he will not put out a smoldering wick. You come to him and you will find a compassionate savior. You just look at Jesus' movements through the gospels. When he encountered suffering, 
when he encountered the oppression or injustice of of this world, that word keeps popping up and he had compassion for them. Friends, that's the response. And we've got to get that into our hearts. As he is someone who not only has compassion for us, but he also sympathizes with us. Because he's felt it. He's felt the pain of this world. He knows the suffering of this world. He has cried authentic tears, God has. And he has real scars. That's extraordinary. If you're not a Christian, it's one of the things that marks the Christian faith is this understanding of a God who entered into the story and experienced the pain of this world to be able to save us from it. He is not removed and separated. He's the one that's got scars. When we get to heaven, they'll be the only scars that exist, I think. And it's a mark of his sympathy. He's a sympathetic high priest. My friends, you come to him, you'll find compassion, and you will find sympathy. A God who understands. It's unbelievable, this God that we serve. And so as we then look at this world, we see the brokenness and the pain that exists, these thorns and thistles. We look at ourselves and ask, how are we encountering this world? Looking with curiosity and honesty, tracing those things to our heart or to the brokenness in this world. We then take those things to Jesus and we'll find a compassionate Savior, a Savior that is ready to give care to us. And then it doesn't stop there. That's not the end. Then we look at one another. You see, the ministry of God's comfort doesn't end when we get to Jesus. He is not only comforting you in suffering. He is preparing you for ministry. I don't know if you heard that earlier. Scott read in 2 Corinthians 1. said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these names of God. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. Walking through the affliction of this world, we look at ourselves and see this pain. We trace it down. We're curious. And then we bring those things to Jesus and we find comfort in our affliction. But it doesn't end there. He comforts us in our affliction so that there's a purpose of his comfort. To be able to comfort us but also prepare us. So that we then may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort that we ourselves received from God. Do you see the the movement here? That we go to receive comfort from Jesus and in that comfort, God is preparing us to be able to comfort others. There is preparation that's there. We are to look at one another, to be able to step in the reality. Not only do we need help, but we are also all helpers. Those two things are true. We all need help. We are all helpers. As God is preparing us to be able to minister to one another. Oh, and this is, if there's maybe anything that, no, that's too strong of a word. One thing, I'll put it that way. One thing I think particularly the church in America needs to be aware of is our tendency to professionalize ministry. What I mean by that is we have a tendency to look at the things that God has told us to do and we want to find professionals to do them. Teaching, evangelism, discipleship, care and counseling. Those are all professional, professionals need to be doing that. People have gone to school for years and years and years. They need to be the one caring for one another, not me. I'm going to come and sit and, and my giving will support the professionals, but they're the ones doing this. Friends, that's nowhere in the New Testament. God does give gifts to his children, to his church. People that have the gift of teaching 
For sure. But me preaching most weeks does not uh, then abdicate you from your commission to still teach one another everything that Jesus has commanded you. It's both and. It's not either or. Some have the gift of evangelism. Wonderful. Praise God. That does not mean that you go, you know what? I don't have that gift. That person over there has the gift. No, we are all called ambassadors to carry this message of reconciliation into a lost and dying world. And it's the same with care and counseling. Does God give people particular gifts of compassion and care? Oh, absolutely. Are there people with particular specializations and study that can help as situation become more complex? Of course. But that does not abdicate you of the command in Galatians 6.2 to step in and carry one another's burdens. The church is a body. And God is using every member to build that body up and glorify the head, which is Jesus. You are not observers of ministry. You are participants in ministry. It's not a crowd. It's a congregation. This is the thing that we need to be careful that we understand. And so as we look at one another, we understand, oh, I have a ministry to carry one another's burdens. I am to help. Not only do I need help, the best way you can prepare for the help for others is by being helped by Jesus. And so again, if your attitude is, I'm just going to suppress my needs, I don't have any needs, I'm just going to move through, I'm going to help everybody else, you will be ill-equipped to step into this ministry. Because the best preparation you can have is not a book, it's at the feet of Jesus receiving comfort for him in your sin and suffering. That's the best preparation as we step in then to this ministry to carry one another's burdens. We want to be rivers of his comfort, not reservoirs of his comfort. We want to connect ourselves to the spring and waters of life and let that life flow through us to others. Not simply sitting at his feet and collecting it for ourselves. That's the the ministry that he has called us to. One of my favorite descriptions of preaching, it works honestly with, with any kind of ministry, is the reality that somebody said, what I, what I do, what I think I do every single week is I am simply getting up here as a beggar, telling other beggars where to be able to find some bread. Every week, that's what I try to do. And so if I'm not connecting with the truth of who Christ is in the text, I've got nothing to offer. And so every week when I come, I'm going, here's where you can find some food. Friends, this is true as we look at this ministry to care for one another, as we look at one another. We are all beggars telling other beggars where to find this bread of life. And so we have to make sure that we are connected to him. This is the ministry that God has called us to. And again, seeing the way that this has played out over the last week and a half in the life of our church has been honestly outstanding. You hear the phrase of the church being the hands and feet of Jesus. I can feel sometimes, I think, cliche. Oh, it's been so true to just step back and watch compassion and care and love and generosity surround people walking through tremendous suffering. It's exactly what Jesus would do if he were here. And this is part of the way that God comforts us is through one another. It's through each other in this ministry. And so part of what we want to do as we look at this year is we want to press into that We want to be curious about our own needs. We want to see how those needs are satisfied and met in the person and work of Jesus. And then we want to help mediate that ministry to others. This is what Jesus has called us to be able to do. And create a desire and excitement to do that. 
And so there will be conversations we will be having, classes we will be having, and walking forward and asking the question, how can we do that better as a church? How can we do that better as a church? How can you be more equipped to be able to step into that ministry? To be able to carry one another's burdens. And to be able to walk in this thorny world side by side. That's a great place to start. There's a book that, that we recommend. There's a book by Ed Welch. He's a Christian biblical counselor. The book's called Side by Side. It's a, if you, any of this, you go, I'm, I want to start today. Just order that book today. You can start reading through it. Uh, you'll be tremendously helped to see the way in which God has structured his church and designed his church to be able to carry this out. Because it's a ministry for you. It's not a ministry for others. Galatians 6 was written to the local church in Galatia to carry one another's burdens. Oh, friends, we want to do that well. And so it's, again, amazing to see this ministry that God has called us into because you can hear what he's calling us to. He is calling us to reflect his image. He is a God of compassion and comfort. He has called us to be a people of compassion and comfort. And you may say, okay, this all sounds so insular. Why don't we focus on ourselves? We should be focused out there in the world. And, and I say, it doesn't have to be an either or. We can, we can do both. We can, we can chew gum and walk at the same time. I believe in you. But the other thing I think is that as a church, as we step into this, and we begin to care for one another, reflecting the compassion and comfort of God, as we care for one another, oh, friends, I think, again, there will be a world that sees. There will be people that are hurting. They'll begin to hear or see a community of care, and they will be drawn to it. It actually becomes, I think, an evangelistic impulse to be able to say and do as the church is doing, as the church should operate, to be a, a, a reflection of God's character to the world. We act as a mirror trying to position who God is to the world so they can see him. We want to glorify God by, our own, by how we live our lives. And how we live our lives should hopefully prayerfully draw people to him. That's what we saw in 1 Peter. That people see our good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven. So I don't think it's either or. I think it's both and. And with a, with a world that is hurting, eventually someone will get to the point to go, I've tried everything and nothing is fixing this. And to hear about the Savior that has come, the Savior that has invited them to come, to bring their suffering, to bring their sin to Him, to be able to find transformation at the feet of Jesus, to encounter their Creator, and when they come to Him, to find acceptance and love. Friends, that's what we are trying to hold out to a world. So it's not either or. We're trying to reflect this image of God because Jesus is absolutely unlike anyone else. Again, we've said he is the God of care and compassion. Oh, but there are a couple of great names for Jesus that I love. Again, if you're wondering what would Jesus do if I bring my sin or my sorrow, think of these names of who Jesus is. He is a friend of sinners. And he is a man of sorrows. Those are the names of our Christ. The names of our God. A friend of sinners. And look at the people that were drawn to him. They were the worst people in the society at that time. They were drawn to his message. Drawn to his grace. He is a friend of sinners. You do not have to be afraid. And he is a man of sorrows. Well acquainted with grief. A sympathetic high priest that invites you to come boldly before his throne and ask what you need. 
And when you ask, you will find the help, grace, and mercy that you need in that moment. You think about what Jesus did there on the cross. And there, in the cross, in a garden, on a tree, what was the thing placed on Jesus' head? It was a crown of thorns. I don't think that was simply because that would be the thing that would hurt the most. I think there we see this image of this curse that's fallen in the world. These thorns that have fallen in this world. That curse was placed on the head of Jesus himself. And he became a curse for us. He is a man of sorrows. He is a friend of sinners. Oh friends, your sin and your sorrow will meet their end whenever that man returns. Who is that man? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is that man? He is the universe-generating, galaxy-sustaining, world-spinning creator. Who is that man? He is the second person of the Trinity. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten, not made. Of the same essence of the Father. Who is that man? He is a grave-defeating, stone-rolling, throne-sitting, sin-forgiving, grace-multiplying, mediator, savior, redeemer, and king. Who is that man? He is our living hope, our eternal joy, our constant love, and our eternal acceptance before a holy God. Who is that man? He is beyond what we will ever be able to comprehend, and yet closer than we could ever imagine. Who is that man? He is Jesus. The man with our thorns on his head. Oh, and friends, remember, as you walk through this thorny world of sin and sorrows, you come to Jesus tattered and scratched and limping and in pain. Never forget who you will find in that man. Who is that man? He is the friend of sinners and the man of sorrows. So no matter the shame, no matter the sin, no matter the tears, No matter the doubt, no matter the questions, you can come to him and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray.